My guest today was a municipal councillor in Waterloo from 2006 to 2014. During her time on council, she was a member of the Audit Committee, a member of the Economic Development Advisory Committee, chair of the Finance and Strategic Planning Committee for four years. She was also a committee member of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, sat on the board of directors for Waterloo North Hydro, was a board member with the Canadian Clay and Glass Gallery, was a board member of St. Mary's General Hospital, and was a committee member of the Kitchener and Waterloo Community Foundation. Because she didn't have enough to do, she was also a member of the Waterloo Wellington Local Health Integration Network. She was a professor in the School of Business at Conestoga College. She was treasurer and chairperson at Community Justice Initiatives. She had a regular column in the Waterloo Chronicle for a number of years. And among other endeavors, she co-chaired a group called Real Men Can Cook Waterloo. But I think I'm safe in saying that her most cherished community involvement is with the Waterloo Public Library, where she had a long-term association, including as chair of the Board of Trustees. She is currently a vice president at Habitat for Humanity Canada. So I'm really pleased that she's made time in her schedule to talk with me today. I want to welcome to the Old Grey Mayor's podcast, Karen Coviello. Karen, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm out of breath. <laughs> You're a busy person. I am, but I love it. And I love this community. And that's what drives me. So now, um, now I, I, I could have said also known as aka Karen Skiing, right? Yep. I have a whole other life. Um, well, <laughs> and that was when you were a counselor. I mean, to me, you were Karen skiing. And, and when you had the Waterloo Chronicle uh, column, it was being skiing, which I thought was a great handle, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually it's actually seeing. Do you want to do that part again? <laughs> yeah, no, no. This is how we know it's real live. <laughs> yeah, there you okay, go. So, so I say skiing, you say seeing. Okay. And I used to, when I was a teacher, when I was an elementary school teacher, we used to say that the CN Tower was named after our family. <laughs> because it's not it's not a it's not a, an easy word to pronounce even though it's only five letters long but you got you got great marketing out of such a small word maybe it'll be a wordle word someday because it's five go. letters long <laughs> <laughs> so look you got involved in local politics and um the the issue of the day or what have you we, we were talking you and i in an earlier telephone chat and it was sort of like you were involved in a number of things here. And uh, why don't we talk about that first off, when you came to this community. Originally, you're from where? I grew up in Saskatoon. I'm a prairie girl, always will be. And I came here to go to university, like so many other people in our community do. Yes, uh, the yes. call of the University of Waterloo was loud and clear across the miles. And mm -hmm. I planned to come here for four years and do my degree and then head back home. But that did, not to Saskatchewan. <laughs> that did not happen. Um, yeah, there you go. I think there was a I think there was a, 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 a guess who song about heading back to Saskatchewan, isn't there? <laughs> yes, for sure. But you didn't heed the call. And then you went to um, um, Teachers College, too, right? Yeah, I went to Western for Teachers College and um, at the time was newly married and, and starting to have my kids. And actually, when I went to Teachers College, I was already I think I graduated um, 
eight months pregnant <laughs> and walked, rocked, walked across the stage, oh. got my diploma and then promptly, uh, became a mom and, uh, um, raised two kids in Waterloo. Loved it. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to mention, uh, I just noticed, uh, you were there in 1991, 92. At West 91, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was at law school at the same time. So we, uh, indirectly crossed That's paths funny. at that time. So, um, but, uh, and so you're home in, in Waterloo then you didn't leave Waterloo. Nope. I've lived in Waterloo since I, since I moved here in 1986. Okay. And you were in the, uh, I think, it, where, what part of Waterloo did you raise the children in? We, we lived in Laurelwood and we were one of the very first homes on uh, Cavendish Drive in Laurelwood. And at the time there was no school, uh, no, no public library, no services, no little plaza. It was really early days for Laurelwood. And um, it, it, you look at the, the growth on the West side since then. And, and it's, it's really exciting to see. Yeah, it's, uh, it reminds me way back when uh, I just moved to Kitchener. Uh, like we, we went to Toronto for a while, came back to Kitchener, and I was on Cortland with a little old house on Cortland, close to Rockway. And our neighbors were the Dornhoffers, Gary Dornhoffer's parents, famous Philadelphia Flyer hockey player. And the parents used to say, you imagine this on, on uh, Cortland, from the, they would look to the uh, west across Cortland. It was nothing but cornfields at that time. And so, you know, that was just, uh, it's always interesting to when people have these stories about what was there and what wasn't there and, and how the growth and development and certainly Waterloo had tremendous growth and development. Now at that time though, you, you had some community involvement. I, I imagine, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine mm -hmm. you weren't, uh, you weren't just at home with the children. You're probably uh, doing some other things. Yeah. I think what, what drove me really, um, was my commitment to our school district. And so I was the chair of our, our parent council at Laurelwood Public School, very involved there. I was a stay-at-home mom for over 10 years, which was, uh, you know, I think a privilege at that time. Um, I think things have changed so dramatically since then. I can't imagine that young couples can do a one-income household yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but at that time we were really lucky and, and uh, took advantage of that and, was enabled me to spend a ton of time in my community and working with a lot of my friends to do um, not just things in our neighborhood and in our school, but also big fundraising initiatives. We, we organized big fundraisers for our local hospitals. We uh, were very involved when they were bringing in the digital mammography machines into, into Waterloo Region. Right. Grand River Hospital. We did a lot of fundraising for that. I looked around and I saw that my a lot of my peers who were also stay-at-home moms, either full-time or part-time, were, you know, enormously skilled and had so much to offer. So I figured what better way to give back to the, our community at that time than to, to just leverage those skills and, and yeah. make our community better. So you were, you were organizing these groups and it wasn't part of <laughs> any of the, and nothing wrong with the established fundraising organizations like Rotary and Lions and Kinsmen, all these people do great work, but you were basically hooking up with a group of friends and finding yeah. these causes and seeing what you could do to raise some money for them. Yeah. And, and socialize. And like, we were, yeah. we were having so much fun, but it was all, um, all on the side and, and really just a, a way we just were really focused on, on contributing to the community in a positive way. This is, this is what I, this is, um, if you recall way back when there was this concept, a thousand points of light and, and, you know, and it was a bit mocked or what have you way back when, but I remember, uh, when I was mayor in North Dumfries and you start to hear what people would do on their own in terms of 
Uh, for example, there was one group that was collecting, if you can imagine this, it made total sense. If you were at a hotel and you collected all those shampoo bottles yeah, yeah, yeah. and gathered those up together to send them uh, off somewhere or uh, people that uh, collect the uh, milk bags and then create mm-hmm. mats with the milk bags. You know, these are all people that are doing their own thing in the community. And I always call them these thousand points of light because they were this bright light in the community doing these things uh, for, you know, just for the greater good. And yeah. uh, it was always great to see that sort of thing. So you're doing that. And uh, at some point you decide to run for council. So what, what was between that and deciding to run for council? What, what, was, what was the driving cause or, or push? It's so funny to think about it. And, and having these conversations with you lets me think back to those times. And it's, I, I think I had, I think I had a, a plan that I wanted to be on the library board. And because I had my first job as a teenager was with the Saskatoon Public Library, worked in the children's department. I knew that our library system wasn't that strong in Waterloo at the time. Um, We didn't have, I don't, I didn't think, I didn't feel we had enough service to service our, our community. I was really interested in thinking, how can I, how can I kind of go next level and, and start to impact beyond my neighborhood? Right. At the time, um, I, I really have no idea, but I remember people saying to me when, when, when it came time for our, our municipal election that um, you should run, you should run, you should run. And it would, and, and, you know, you typically kind of brush those things off, but I thought maybe this is a, this is the, maybe this is the stepping stone for right. me to, to figure out what I want to do next. And I knew my, my years as a, a stay-at-home parent, we're coming, you know, that doesn't last forever. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, the kids, the kids don't want, the kids, yeah. yeah, the kids don't share ice cream with you like they used to. No, they don't want you around all the time. So you're, you know, a library girl because of your experience in mm-hmm. uh, Saskatchewan. And Saskatoon. being a teacher, and being a teacher. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, all those things are important. And you're seeing that uh, Waterloo, because I grew up in Waterloo. So to me, the, the library was always, the, you know, the, the main branch. Maybe that was the only branch. And then uh, often I would go down to the Kitchener uh, main branch to do a lot of my research or homework when I was in high school, because they always had, you know, more, more resources available. Down there. Is, that, is that sort of what your observations were at the time between? like yeah. Waterloo? And Rob, if you wanted to, if you wanted to use your Waterloo public library card to take something out from the Kitchener library at that time, you couldn't have done that. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. You know, You're right. Maybe, it was yeah. almost like you were you're yeah. an outsider coming, sneaking yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> And Kitchener has always um, Kitchener has always put a lot of priority and and um, and 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 resources into their library systems. I think uh, one interesting thing when I was on regional council that I never really realized was the township library system is run by the region, mm-hmm. but the cities each run individually their mm-hmm. own uh, libraries. And I, obviously, there's more integration now. But with Waterloo. At the time you were looking, were there branches around or just not enough branches or what, what was it you were seeing that was lacking in Waterloo? So there was the main branch and that was that was built in 1965, just like me. And uh, so there, we love that library branch. It's a beautiful mid-century um, piece yes. of architecture. It's a gorgeous library. And there was a little tiny offshoot branch at the Albert McCormick Community Center. Oh, yes, right. Yeah. So that served the, the west side. But beyond that, there wasn't anything. Yeah. So, and it's always nice. So back to then, you've got friends saying, hey, you should, you should run, you should run. What ward were you in at that time? So Ward 2, Waterloo, which would be um, now, the footprint is Laurelwood, Vista Hills, 
um, uh, Columbia Forest, Clare Hills, out the west side. Right. And so your friends and you are doing all these uh, various uh, fundraising events and other social activities contributing to the community. And out of that, I guess, people came to appreciate the skill set that you demonstrated and thought you would be someone who would be an excellent counselor. Yeah. And I think I positioned it as um, that I was a connector and that I would be somebody who would be um, able to listen and and bring their their perspectives forward, um, kind of bust through that maybe stereotype around what politicians and politics looks like. Uh, we right. went really hard in with that messaging about community connection. Yeah. You were jumping to the campaign, but I just want to get to this point. You didn't tell me how you came to the decision that you would run because people are saying, hey, you should run, you should run. And a lot of times people say, nah, I'm too busy or I want to do something else or whatever, whatever. How did you come to the decision that you would run? I think it was because I knew I needed to move to the next thing. So I think I saw it as an opportunity to figure out what that looked like. And 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 you weren't on the board, the library board at this particular time, were you? No. That came yeah. later on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So now you're going at it, looking at it. And I think uh, in our conversations before you mentioned there was redistribution or the ward boundaries had changed. Mm-hmm. The the existing counselor didn't live in the, in the new ward boundaries and there had been a, a realignment of ward boundaries. Uh, so I did see it as an opportunity to, to represent my community in a new way for sure. Yeah. So, and the existing counselor, who was that again? His name was Jim Bolger. Jim Bolger. Okay. So for, I think a term as the city councilor. Yeah. So, so you're kind of taking on an incumbent, even though he's not uh, living in that particular ward, he's representing it for the past four years. So, so you got a bit of a fight on your hands here. Like you're, you're running behind the eight ball a bit. Yeah, totally. And I had no expectations. I really, really was doing it for not necessarily to win, but to, 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 you know, build something to stand on and uh, maybe get involved with more, you know, citywide activities, but um, not no expectation at all that it would actually turn into anything. And and before you ran, we should touch on this. You attended the Waterloo Region uh, Municipal Election School. <laughs> I don't know if I have it right. It's a long name always, and there's no acronym that I'm aware of. <laughs> the Women's Musical Campaign School. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of Waterloo Region. <laughs> oh, yeah, from Waterloo Region. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, I think it was the first one that they held. And I just went out of interest that I thought, oh, this looks interesting. I think I'll go. Yeah. So by that time, had you decided you were going to run and this was an opportunity to gain a little bit of experience uh, about what was involved? I think I had, I think I was seriously considering it. But when I came out of that school, I was convinced I was going to do it. You were pumped. Yeah, I was. <laughs> Now, now there was another famous alumnus from that particular class, correct? Yeah. Well, that the the going into that election that year, our council in Waterloo was uh, all men, and uh, so we I think there were a lot of people that were on a bit of a mission. Uh, so I sat down that first day. I um, it was de- held down in Cambridge at the at the architecture school and there we were in an auditorium and I sat down just by fluke beside this woman and we started chatting and it was, it was Brenda Halloran. And um, she looked at me and I looked at her and I said, and I said, so are you going to run? And she goes, yes, I'm running for mayor. And I said, okay. And um, she showed me, she, she had made these cards up 
on like printed them on our computer. And then by the end of the time, we, we realized that we weren't allowed to do anything, anything like that until we had registered to run. So she tucked <laughs> us back away into her, <laughs> into her pocket. But we walked out of there, um, fast friends. And, and then we ran for office at the same time. And uh, yeah, I think our relationship is the classic Thelma and Louise forever. Yeah, well, ride, we're going to ride or die. Yeah, yeah, we're going to, yeah, Thelma and Louise, perfect <laughs> analogy. Or I was going to say, or I was going to say, yeah. yada, 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 we both won. But now we're going to get into the yada. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you come out of the campaign school and we won't, uh, we won't I'll, I'll remind Brenda about that campaign violation next time I see her. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, so, what did you do then? Uh, like, what was there a driving issue in particular, or uh, you know, because you you bring up an interesting point about how uh, Waterloo Council, and, you know, and it's just generally, but how a council is perceived, and when you run, because when I ran for for mayor, my perception of the council of the day was that it was not uh, collaborative or interactive with the community, and I just yeah. felt that by working more with the community, there's so much you could leverage in terms of the assets in the community, in addition to, you know, your tax dollars and everything else you're raising to get so much more done in the community. And we had that community center was an example of that. So it seems that sort of like you're looking at this council, as you said, it's like a, a group of men uh, and, and there's no, you know, no female representation. Uh, and also too, you had mentioned this concept of Waterloo Inc. Yeah. Why don't you explain that for, for people? Yeah, and Waterloo Inc. is a, is a, a concept um, that really shaped the operations at City of Waterloo for a long time. And, and, and um, I think it came from political leadership that, that, that was there for many, many years, long before I ever meandered onto the scene. Um, there was a perception, I think maybe because of what Waterloo is as a community, that there needed to be a super... Uh, business lean, a business attitude, a business first, right, right. first um, attitude, and our perception. Until they made it, there was a bit of bit of a critical error. You may recall back in the eighties, there was a bit of a critical business error made in Waterloo. Starts that, with R and ends with M. <laughs> yeah. Also, long before any of us got there, and um, which you know there was a lot of irony in that, and uh, we, I really felt that that there was a disconnection and I think you articulated it with your case as well, a disconnection between city hall and the community and our community was so rapidly changing uh, largely due to, I think the university of Waterloo's impact on our economic um, uh, framework in the community right. our high industry was, yep. was shifting. My family was part of that industry. There were so many new Canadians coming to Waterloo to be part of that industry that, it was changing, changing, changing. And we were, I was seeing, and a lot of people were seeing that um, there was a big disconnect between city hall itself. It was very uptown focused and the rest of the, the growing. Right. Community. Right. Yeah. I mean, Waterloo always had that perception, very white collar, the insurance industries, the businesses. Then, as you say, the tech community that just uh, exploded through the university of Waterloo yeah. and Laurier, uh, contributed to to that as well, and then you you take it down to Kitchener and Cambridge, you start to see more more blue collar or what have you, right? Manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. And I can I, I think that term Waterloo Inc. was I mean I th I think I remember reading that term or seeing that term. I mean it was uh, very much this business approach, but you, you wanted to bring a more 
neighborhood view to things, correct? Absolutely, for sure. And, yeah, and so let's talk about the campaign for a second. So you're, yeah. you're, getting out, you're out of this school, and, and uh, I think what you articulate about Waterloo Inc., I think that was probably, uh, if anyone listens to my podcast with Brenda Holleran, will appreciate uh, that that was a driving force uh, for her too, was sort of breaking through that that men uh, only club, it seems, at Waterloo Inc., uh, try to add a little more heart to what was going on, so to speak, in terms of the operations and, and what's happening, and bring it more to a, a grassroots feel. Um, so tell me about your campaign, though. What, uh, what, did, what, what did you have going into it? Oh, my heavens. I had absolutely no understanding whatsoever of political process, of what a campaign um, would look like, but I, I'm a very creative person, and I, I designed um, a campaign around this idea of a community connector. Um, I had a very simple set of um, door knockers made. That was the only piece of literature I had, and it really profiled my skills as as a connector, as a, a community act like a leader in the community in terms of activating. Um, um, you know, neighborhood events, et cetera. And uh, we went in, I have, I have the best friends on the planet and luckily they rallied behind me every step of the way. And we, we had a small enough geographic area that we could do it all on foot. And we right. would go out every afternoon and um, including one of my girlfriends who I'd gone to university with. And she, she had a, a baby at the time or like a toddler. And he used to yep. say, let's, Let's go. We're going to get Karen a job. <laughs> you wonder what your yeah. friends were saying. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, at one point in time, somebody said, somebody said, I can't remember who it was, but I, somebody said, you've got, you, you have all these beautiful women out campaigning for you. And that's oh, fair. And I'm like, oh. those are my friends. Those are oh, my Lordy. friends. And yeah, they are beautiful women, aren't they? Yes. And, they inner, inner beauty. <laughs> determined. To knock on doors and and make connection, yeah. and chit chat their way through. Like we just had the best time, and it really still was a pipe dream to think that 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 I would actually pull it off. Now, during my campaign, uh, when I was running against an incumbent, I, I, I ran into a little situation where uh, my opponent was running these ads, uh, where uh, she would have this word um, uh, um, risk. And my picture under the word risk and the word stability <laughs> and her picture, her picture, her, yeah, her picture under the word stability. And so how did you run into anything like that during your campaign? Any uh, shenanigans? I did. I did. And I think I think what was happening was that it was it was um, I think the assumption at the beginning was that the incumbent would win and that there oh. was some kind of security in that. Right. And I think all of our I think all the incumbents at the time we're feeling that right um the mayor was an incumbent he was very confident that he was going to win and the other folks were confident that they were going to win as well and um as time marched on and it became clearer and clearer i i had signs i i had signs everywhere every and all on people's lawns they were everywhere across our community um you couldn't you could not miss them and they were very simple small Karen C and signs. Um, and I, I just, I know that the heat was rising as the campaign went on and yeah, there were shenanigans, but at the end of the day, um, I have a ton of respect for, 
the the gentleman I ran against and and we have we have a solid awesome relationship so it's well, all good everything works its way out <laughs> yeah, sometimes you never know you got you have over overly enthusiastic uh campaign workers it's and emotional you right it's emotional. control all of that yeah yeah, yeah. politics can be absolutely it doesn't matter whether it's municipal federal or provincial campaigns it, it can be it's it's always a you know it's a short period of time you get a you get a result at the end of it. There's a winner or loser. It's not yeah. like a long drawn out uh, affair. It's so, so public. It's so public. It's the most public job interview you have. And it's so your so your key was getting out knocking on all the doors. Then that was the big part of your success. You would say and identifying your supporters. Yeah, because that's all that's all I had, right? That's all I had in terms of um, resources. I think I spent about three thousand dollars on that uh, campaign. And um, I didn't know any differently. That's right. Sometimes it's always like, if I knew then what I knew now, maybe I wouldn't yeah. have blah, blah, blah. So maybe it's sometimes yeah. good to be not aware, <laughs> yeah. but you know what, if you're, you're running against an incumbent and you know, incumbency is a pretty potent uh, weapon for those that are, are in power or in office. Right. I mean, what, now you stayed for two terms. You didn't stay longer. What What are your views on on since we're just touching on incumbency now? Your views on incumbency and, and... I'm a, I'm a term limit person. I I felt my eight years there was the right amount of time. Uh, I I think that I think people need to and it, it's almost time for us to remind sitting incumbents that this that about these philosophies for next yeah. year for this yeah. year. Um, I I believe the seat that you sit on sit in belongs to the community. And that it's really, it's a little arrogant to think that you're the only person that can do that job. There's so a I bit would, of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was happy to hand mine along. Um, I, I actually moved out of the neighborhood. I moved uptown and into into a new place. Right, and right. I, I was happy to hand, to, to say, you know what, it's time to move along. And yeah. It's stuff. sort of like uh, it's sort of like community involvement. When you're when you're with some organization for four years or even eight years, it's a pretty long time to be there. And a lot of organizations even have a requirement that directors have to move on after, let's say, eight years. How about the president of the United States? It's good enough yeah. for them. It can be good enough for anybody. Well, that was George, George Washington started that one. So, yeah, like but how about the rest of them? I mean, that's the problem. It's only the president of the United States. Yeah, he needs to extend yeah. to the rest of them to really see some some change. But I, I guess uh, being a senator can be pretty lucrative. But anyway, we move on. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So now you're a, you win election night. That must have been pretty exciting. It was um, shocking. It was really shocking. <laughs> and I went and found Brenda. I went and found Brenda first thing. She was having oh, yeah. a party and she was just as shocked. The two of us yeah. were just in shock. Like really, we oh. did not, we did not, but we did know we did have a, about yeah, a I was going to say to you, hold on yeah. a second. You had a little sort of canary in the mind shaft or whatever. Yeah. You had a, yeah. a, a, a meeting just before the final vote with someone. Tell us about that. It's very interesting. Well, we went, we, we really, um, neither of us expected at the beginning to we just really wanted to make a make a make a point and make take a stand and 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 move forward and it was pretty it was getting pretty clear towards I'd say about three quarters of the way through the election that we were both had a lot of traction we had um there was a debate at at the rec center and it was Brenda and the two um gentlemen that she was running against Brian yep. Turman and Herb Epp and yep. um Oh, it was quite astonishing to see they went, they started going after each other and then they started going after her and she kind of just got this, 
got in this zone and she wrote it with a lot of class and elegance and smarts. And we walked out of there and I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, are you ready to win? And she goes, are you ready to win? And I said, yeah, let's do this. Yes. <laughs> and off we went and we finished, I think we had a week or two left and we pulled it off. Tell me about that meeting you had with Herb App. Uh, just before the election. Oh, yes, that was a good time. And it, telling tales out of school a little bit. But um, about two or three weeks before the election date, I got a call from Mayor Epp, Herb Epp, who was the mayor at the time. And I'd never met him before. And he wanted uh, to go for coffee. And uh, we went at the Williams on University. I still remember it and sat there. And he's, uh, you know, I'm six feet tall and he's a little guy. So <laughs> we sat down and had our coffee. And, uh, and I was kind of intimidated because, you know, it's her bet. He's kind of a big deal. Um, yep. anyways, he told me at the time, he goes, um, you're going to win this election and, uh, gave me some bits and pieces of advice. And then he said to me, uh, the funniest thing I remember, I'll always, re I'll always remember <laughs> is that he told me that I needed to start wearing more suits so that people took me more seriously, took me seriously <sighs> as a, as a, as a, as a political leader. And I said to him, I said, if I start wearing suits, people, the people who actually believe in me now are going to get confused and they're not going to respect me anymore. So yeah. <laughs> right, right there, right there is all you need to see about Waterloo Inc. versus we'll say the new Waterloo, right? I mean, yeah. like that, that is a classic how uh, there was a bit of a, it's almost a conservatism. I mean, he's a liberal, but I mean, he's a conservatism. Uh, God rest his soul. But uh, you know, it's, it's, a, that's a very humorous story. And, and well, he was right. At least, you know, uh, he was a longtime politician who could read the lay of the land very well, which he did, obviously. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't see it. Just couldn't see his own situation. Because <laughs> Brenda yeah, beat him, right? That, I think a lot of them didn't see their own situations. And we yeah. came in as, uh, as a, you know, a bit of a wave and ended up with four women on council that election with Mayor Halloran, myself, Diane Freeman, and Angela Veith. Yeah, and then and then in 2010, uh, you all came back, and you added who? We added the incredible Melissa Durrell to our council, <laughs> and we had five women yes. uh, on our council, which was the highest per cap or the highest amount of women represented on a council in Canada. So let's talk about now. Now you're elected. Congratulations. <laughs> I'll have to say seventy-five uh, percent of the vote. Like it was, a, like it was a big win. <laughs> wow, that yeah. was a big win. So that's big a, win. that was a you didn't squeak in. You no, you that's like win. you you had a mandate. What did you feel your mandate was? Well, I didn't know enough to really know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You know what? Be honest, it's I'll be frank. It's municipal politics. It's not, you know, yeah. the federal and provincial levels, you'll have policy platforms and all of that. Yeah. But as you pointed out, it's like, you know, municipal is so grassroots. You don't really have the policy platforms laid out. Uh, it's more about, you know, who's the person? Are they a good person? Have they contributed to the community? Do I like the type of energy that they, you know, put off that sort of thing? And, and, and those seem to be the, the things that get you through to victory. To the uh, first, and then your you, first victory, and then you have to prove yourself. Right. And, and then, then the hard work okay, begins. Yeah. Well, okay. Knowing what you know now, what's your advice to first time successful candidates when they get elected to municipal office? What, 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 what are some of the key things they should do to get up to speed as quick as possible? Well, the first one I think is that you need to 
pack away your what you your perspective on everything. So like, you know, a lot of people who step into politics are kind of egomaniacal. They they're convinced that they know a lot. They um, they are, you know, used to being you know, maybe at the front of the room leading the way. But it's right. time at that point in time, it's time to listen. It's time to listen. It's time to learn, because what you learn is that the community is um, much more complex and um, diverse than than your own experience. The and issues, for- the issues are much more complex. There's many voices speaking about issues, and it's not like we might hear, uh, you know, as, as black and white as some people feel. But one yeah. of the things I think, and, and this would hearken to your finance experience, but you know, when you're first there, things like budgets, you don't really think about budgets when you're you're running. But once you're there now, you're confronted with making a budget and you soon realize the budget is one of the most important documents that you can put together because you know, the saying is, if you want to know about a community, look at the budget. And it's not just a saying, that is truth, because whatever the community is going to do, if it's not in the budget, not funded, it's not getting done that year. It's how you express your leadership. And so I had to, I figured out pretty quickly that I needed to insert myself into that budget process pretty quickly and figure out how to leverage my, that, that process in order to um, accomplish the goals I needed to accomplish for my community. And that, that taught me, and I, and I often refer to my eight years at city of Waterloo as my master's degree in community. And yeah. yeah, And since that, since those days, you know, I have another master's degree in change management and leadership, but I, I, I identify myself as a process professional and, and how do you use strategy and process and, all those super important business tools um, to get stuff done. And that's, that's my, that's my superpower as a, as a, in my job now. And one of the things you don't realize until you're, you're deep into it is at the municipal level, whether it's uh, the city or a regional government, um, there's so much you can do. Once you understand the levers and the tools that you have available to you, it's unbelievable. I always equate it to, um, it's like a, a big game of Sims. If you remember that, uh, it was a software program my yeah. kids used to play where they would build cities and roads yeah, and all that too. sort of thing. And, and, and that's what you're doing. Every year, you are deciding things like community centers, library branches, roads, all sorts of things that are happening in your community, uh, grants to um, improve uh, neighborhoods, all those sorts of things, right? I mean, it, it, it's just a phenomenal experience that you, you get into, but the more you understand that you are now, and I think some people don't appreciate this, you're a lawmaking body. When you pass bylaws, you're passing the rules <laughs> and you can yeah. make them or, or uh, change them. Yeah, and I also think there's, it's interesting when we watch municipal governments, uh, different politicians take different roles. And I figured out really quickly that my preferred role was to be early on in processes and to figure out really workable solutions. While other ones, other politicians take the role of um, the devil's advocate all the time, right? That they're always on the opposite side of right, an issue. Right. Yeah, I don't want to be over there. I want to actually be moving an agenda. Yeah. Along. It, it, okay, look, if you're going to be on the opposite side, then tell me what it is you want to get done and how you're going to do it, right? I yeah. mean, that's oftentimes it's just opposite to be opposite to be opposing, opposite to be opposing, but not really saying what it is you want or how we're going to get there. But and there I think- are, 
there are lots of sitting politicians in Waterloo Region on municipal councils that that's that they make that their their mission is to be right. that cranky voice. And and they get reelected because of incumbency. Not because of accomplishment. No, and do, frustrating. Do you agree, with, do you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree with that perspective. Like you nailed it on the head because it's it's um yeah, they're not getting anything done. The other thing I see is sometimes you see some long-term politicians who don't even still understand the policies and procedures. And, uh, you know, what's a conflict of interest? I mean, it's especially funny when they used to work for the city. (laughs) Yeah. So you think they would know what to do. I'm telling you, if you're a new elected politician, learn the rules of the game as quick as you can, because you will have an advantage and you will find a way to get things done. I remember one of the first things uh, when I was at the region, we had that roundabout at, at Blockline and uh, and Homer Watson, and and is it Homer Watson, yeah, Homer Watson, yeah. and uh, you know it was going to be a three lane to two lane to three lane to two lane, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't know, from my personal injury uh, lawyer experience, I was thinking oh, that this could be cause some accidents, and I'm saying, well, it should be two two lanes all around. Next thing you know, we're able to make it two lanes, and I'm thinking, wow, you got to make that change because you get the vote. And staff, what if you what if you hadn't spoken up? I, right, and it'd be the other way around, and and so you suddenly realize, wow, you can make changes. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, the regional chair didn't like to see all the engineers around the horseshoe, but uh, <laughs> but okay, tell me what was one of the first things you got involved with when you were a counselor that made you realize, wow, you can yeah. make change, and this is how you do it. Yeah, I think the I think the first one that pops into my head was right off the top. And um, it was something that was happening as I, as I was running for office. There was this uh, piece of land on the west side up on conser- um, conservation in Herbsville. So that top corner of, of, of Waterloo yep. Yep. used to be the town of Herbs, the village of Herbsville. Uh, beautiful piece of land called the McNally Lands. And it used to be um, owned by the McNally family. And there's a farmhouse on there and orchards and stuff. But there was there were development proposals for that land. And um, right off the top, I remember sitting down with our planning department, with our CAO at the time, um, Simon Farbrother, that he's long gone from there as well. But he, uh, but saying, okay, th- there's a process to go through here to change the zoning. Do you think I knew anything about zoning? Like, <laughs> honest to goodness, like I, all I think about is zoning now. But like at the time, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But our yeah. staff sat down, I still remember sitting down with um, all those planning department folks and working through a process with them. And that was before Christmas in our first year, we came in the beginning of December and before Christmas. Mm, And you know, I learned in that point, that moment in time, which was my, one of my biggest lessons is that you leverage relationships with staff in order to um, leverage their expertise and and treat your staff well and um, earn their respect. Yeah, we're going to talk about the staff politician dynamic. And I had a great podcast with Mike Murray about that. We just did the whole podcast about that that issue. And I'm going to ask you about your experience further after. But it's probably good you had that early experience because yeah. it opened your eyes early to what it is uh, that you sort of might have to do in order to make some change. So in this particular incident, what what were you able to accomplish? We got that zoning change to green. And so that it's not, you can't develop on it. So it's, it, we've protected those lands for a long time. Who owned the lands? The McNally, the McNally family had left them to something. To, I can't remember exactly, but maybe to the city. I can't remember. Yeah. So, so working with staff, you're able to come up with 
a process or, or a plan to have that area kept as green. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what was that? A, it was understanding, understanding the process, right? They had to, they had to go back to scratch. I still, it was Scott Nevin. I remember him and he's retired from the city as well. And he walked me through every step and they didn't, they didn't necessarily want to change it to green because, um, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, it was, it was, it was a, not a direction that they were hundred percent convinced was the right way, but they walked through the options with me and we were able to take a motion to, to council, work with council, put a motion in front of council and, and get it, get it approved. And council agreed. Who was your seconder? I have no idea. It was probably, let me think. It was probably, I would say it would probably be something like Diane or Angela. Okay. But let me, <laughs> let me just point this out though. So you're like this new counselor that just got elected yeah. shows up and is telling this established staff about something she wants to do. That's contrary yeah. to what the staff that's been there election in and election out over the years, yeah. they've been there politicians come and go. And now here's this new counselor showing up and doing something that's kind of contrary to what they're thinking should be done. Yeah. But they, but, but we got it done and it speaks, it speaks to, if you understand, I didn't understand at the time, but it speaks to um, the power of the role and, uh -huh. and the ability to, to Im implement change but it also, um, in my mind, it's a tribute to that city of Waterloo staff for being so um, respectful and, and accommodating of, of this yes. the person who knew nothing. <laughs> yes, because I can tell you stories where new people coming in don't receive that good a reception. And Agreed. sometimes staff maybe is not as forthcoming uh, with respect to the assistance. No. So it was kind of nice that you were able to get yeah. that. Now, something I, I just want to touch on um, from your first term we're going to talk about Costco as well. Oh, yeah. That's, but we'll, we'll say that, but, and, and I just thought of this was this, the fluoride referendum. So <laughs> yes. you're in the middle of that fluoride referendum because it yeah. came up during your first term. The, re the referendum was during the election of 2010. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. So, so tell me what, what was it? Were you were you the the mover of this? What was what was going on with the fluoride well, issue? I was the anti. I was anti what was going on. So um, well, just to clarify, Waterloo had fluoride in the yeah, water, correct? Yeah. So you, you didn't want to take it out, right? I wanted I wanted the fluoride to stay in the water, and it was the motion was brought forward by my good friend Angela Veith, who is is adamant is is a hundred percent convinced that the the fluoride needs to come out and she's got her reasons and I respect yep. that um we the the motion came forward and that they wanted I think at the beginning they wanted us to make the call but it's a regional the water the water piece is regional so there was yep. oh gosh you know I think we we I, I can't even remember but it was um I remember having conversations with my colleagues later and we wish we would have closed the door faster on that conversation and just stop it in its tracks but um, but how would you stop it i think we were we were being super accommodating for some reason i, I just it's a long time ago but I, oh, I think rather we than pass like pass a motion just saying yeah we're we, we're fine we're gonna leave it be yeah yeah we wish we would have stopped that conversation earlier how did and it if, end up as a referendum i think that was a, a joint decision with regional council but i'm not but I remember it felt it was felt it needed to go to the public as a as a referendum issue. 
And that was pretty contentious, wasn't it? Oh my heavens. It was so contentious. And that, that election I had, I was um, lucky enough to not have any competition. I was acclaimed. Plus I was, I was pretty uh, convinced that this was a, a bad idea. So I was very public with my um, opposition. Right. Right. Yeah, but I felt because I wasn't running in the election, you know, like elections kind of turn can turn politicians into weird people and uh, give them lots of reasons not to be really authentic. <laughs> we may have noticed that, you know, lots of times. But um, I, I yeah, I think it was was it 50.1 to 49. Yeah, something like that. 50.1 to do what? To, to take it out. Take it out. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, so this is the 2010 election. We're dealing with um, uh, funding for the LRT uh, because that was an issue going on. We yeah. got the fluoride debate. Was there also the amalgamation, amalgamation. question? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. We had really high voter turnout that election compared to other municipal elections. What was your view on the amalgamation discussion? It wasn't about amalgamation itself. It was just to have a discussion about amalgamation. What was your view on that? So also telling tales at a school. Um, at first, the, the pro amalgamation folks had come to our council and it had been voted down. So it was it was myself and another one of my colleagues who who can identify themselves if they want to. Uh, we took we took alternate wording forward and convinced our council to get get that get that referendum question on. Yeah, because Kitchener had the same question, similar, like have a discussion. So was it coordinated? Like both cities would have this question about question. Yeah, we we proposed a new question and it was just it was a slight turn on on the phrase. Um, Yeah, we felt it. We felt it was it was leading in one direction. So we changed the wording and then they accepted that and then became a referendum question. So were you surprised by the way the vote turned out? No. Because but Waterloo, think- Waterloo, Waterloo clearly said no to a discussion and Kitchener yeah. said yes to a discussion. I, I, I honestly think that if that question was asked today, you'd get a more even an even um, result so that folks in Waterloo would would vote differently, because I believe that the, the work that um, Mayor Vervanovich and Mayor Jaworski have put into demonstrating what collaboration looks like is pretty powerful. And the pandemic has played a role in that. I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, a, 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 a bit of a reckoning when it comes to um, the need to work together in new ways. I think that I think that trust is a big part of it, and that that right. that people would have a different view to it now. Well, it's an interesting concept. It's one I, I never really thought about in terms of um, trust between the various cities. But it's, it's like a family relationship, right? If you have more trust with each other, you work better together than when you don't and, 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 and there's family dysfunction or disunity. And uh, it is a very, definitely an interesting concept and would be interesting to see if, if we ever get a chance to test that uh, ballot question again about whether you want to have a conversation about amalgamation or not. Um, and certainly something that we'll have to see if it ever comes back up. Now, as you're going entering your second term, yeah. uh, you become chair of the finance committee. Go figure that, eh? <laughs> and what was it that attracted you to that uh, position? Again, it's 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 the uh, the power that comes with being able to influence decision making, and I love 
puzzles and figuring out how things work together. Um, obviously, I'm not an accountant, but I, uh, uh, I made sure I took a whole bunch of accounting courses to make sure that, um, you know, I understood the ins and outs a bit. Mm. But it's, um, it was not, it was a bit controversial at the time, as you can imagine, and Mayor Halloran's rationale at the was that she understands how things fit together. She understands how, um, how to best leverage parts of our organization in a way that will maximize what they get done. And we have a finance staff, so it's going to be a match. And and when we, it was great. We had, we had the most incredible four years, um, got a lot done and and laid the foundation for the future. Yeah. So Yeah. I mean, the chair of your finance committee doesn't have to be an accountant. Yeah, but a lot of the old boys in town felt that putting a sure primary school. But they're missing, they're missing the point. You're not the yeah. one that's you're not the one that's getting to the nitty gritty of the yeah. budget and and uh, how much this bond is going to be. And you know, there's lots of people that can tell you what the tax rate is going to be. Although I had a a, a treasurer that couldn't tell me a tax rate, but that's, that's a whole true. other story. <laughs> but you know, you don't need what you need is someone because because the budget is the heart of your community. You want a leader that is going to direct, you know, what kind of heart is that going to be? Is it going to be a hard heart? Is it going to be an open heart? You know what I mean? Like a, yeah. an open heart in a, in a good sense, not in the sense it's dying or something, but I mean, uh, oh. you know, like what, what are you going to see happen? So what were your, like, is, was it also that you realized as we touched on earlier, the budget is one of the most important documents for your community? Absolutely. Along with your planning documents, your foundational planning documents, yeah. I was able to um, work with our, our team, both council and staff, to lay the foundation for uh, one of the best, it's going to be one of the best public library systems in Ontario. Um, we were able to uh, implement a whole neighborhood matching fund at the start of that. We were able to do all sorts of things that, that put um, community first and put kids Okay, so this is okay. So during your term as fine, and this is what I say: there's always there's always certain positions that are like really important positions uh, in the region. Okay, no offense to anyone else, but you know the mayors drive the agenda a lot of what's going on. Like you said, Brenda Halloran is looking at this now. Does she appoint the positions for? Yeah. Ah, so it wasn't voted on by the the council. No. Okay, interesting. Because I think in Kitchener they vote on their finance chairs. Yeah. So 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 here's the mayor deciding who's going to be the chair of the finance committee. And I always say the most important positions are the, the mayors. And then the people that are chairing the finance committees to me uh, or are, are most important because they're the ones developing the budget. And that is really the most important uh, positions uh, out there because that's what's driving things. So during your term, then you touched on two things. One was the, you developed a, a neighborhood fund or grant matching program. Yep. And, and where did that come about? Was that something you saw like in Kitchener, for example, and said, Hey, we should be doing this here in Waterloo. No, we, we did. I think we did it first. Oh, and, okay. Right. Yeah. Mayor Barry just copied. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell, I can say more about that. The neighborhood matching fund was Waterloo that did it first. And um, the neighborhood strategy is what Kitchener did first. And I can tell you that because I was the consultant on that, on that project. Uh, in Kitchener. Okay. So um the neighborhood matching fund came out of an interest I had in participatory budgeting. And I was trying to figure out how do we get the community to express their needs more directly through the budget process. And I wanted to introduce participatory budgeting. Um, but 
you know, that's a big step for a community. And New York City does it the best. They each borough or each ward had $100,000 that the neighbors would actually vote on. The community would vote on how they're going to spend it. Okay. So I wanted to figure out how do you, how do we do something like that? Oh my heavens. Like that was a big, a big shock to the system for my, my, um, my team. Anyways, the, uh, we came up with this idea through our, one of our committees that we would have this neighborhood matching fund and to their credit, it started small and this council, the subsequent councils have taken it to, to a much bigger place. And it, yeah. and it has a lot of, you know, well, it's, it's a, a, it's a great way. It's a great way to show the entire city. Like sometimes there's too much focus on your uptown or downtown and the, the suburbs are going, Hey, what about us over here? And it's a great way to, for the council to reach out uh, to these, to the other parts of the, yeah. of the city or the municipality that sometimes yeah. feel like they're, they're being ignored. Um, one of the other issues you had to deal with uh, during this time was uh, Costco, right? I mean, that was a, that was a big issue. That was a big issue. Yeah, it was, but it was kind of fun too. I, I, I'm not afraid of conflict. I kind of enjoy it, but it was, um, I knew I was coming to my, the end of my term and um, this Costco on the West side of Waterloo was coming in fast, fast and ferociously um, without a lot of care and consideration for uh, traffic um, infrastructure, environmental concerns. We talked to them about getting a permeable parking, you know, parking lot that would be better for the water. Most people for, you know, often forget that the West side of Waterloo is right on top of our water, water, drinking water supply, the moraine. Um, right. We all, I, I would just hear constantly from my folks around how they were, you know, traffic here, traffic this, traffic that, hated traffic. Well, traffic was a big issue, right? I mean, Iron Needles yeah. and the Herb Street. I mean, yeah. 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 And so along comes Costco. And 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 I I led the charge along with one of my fellow counselors to push back um, in order push to back, push back. Push back at the developer, but you're also dealing with the region on this because yeah. Iron Needles. Push back at the developer yeah. and push back at the region. <laughs> what, what was it you weren't happy with the region about at that time? I, you know, and this is my perception. I'm sure someone listening to this will have a whole other perception, but our oh, they will. perception, they will. Yeah, <laughs> the fact checker, the fact checkers in, uh, we don't in, care about uh, that. Elmira, in Elmira. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't care about the history teachers. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, our perception at Waterloo Council was that, um, you know, that Waterloo was persistently brushed off and, and that there wasn't a lot of appetite for whatever reason, to to really um, listen to Waterloo Council, our needs, our staff, et cetera. And one of the things we'd been asking for was a comprehensive traffic study for the West Side for a long time. That just wasn't getting anywhere. And I don't I don't know where the backlog was. Um, I think they come back and say the backlog was on our side of the door and this and that, but I don't care. We're asking for a traffic, a comprehensive yeah. traffic study, and it's not coming forward and, and more and more and more developments coming. That's a problem. So yeah, we went in hard against the region. Um, it, it's, the, it's one of the few times I stepped out of my whole, I, my, my preference is to be behind the scenes and, and make finding those elegant solutions. But this is the time right. I switched the gears. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be the jerk from Waterloo and I'm going to push this. I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it and push it until something happens. And it was so funny because the community was all like, oh, my God, we want the Costco so bad. We're right. going to lose the Costco. And I'm like, if you've seen the business plans, you're not losing the Costco. There's more disposable income per capita in this in these postal codes 
than right. anywhere in Ontario. Like they want to be in this market so bad. Yeah. They are, they want to be here. We tried to get them to move to North of the Conestoga mall. We tried, they, they're, you know, they're not going anywhere. So they wanted that area, but you got to get the, the the traffic, right? I mean, Iron Needles originally started as just yeah. two lanes and, and the region yeah. quickly made that four lanes. Yeah. So I can see how you're saying, look at, they probably knew it should have been four lanes all, all the time, but they all probably the went two lanes to use the, some money for some other project somewhere yeah, they else. They were just staging it. So at the end of the day, we got all that. And, and what we felt that is if we if that Costco was allowed to come in and the traffic infrastructure wasn't committed to, we'd be on the hook for it and we'd be dealing with the problems of it forever. And so we were able to be annoying as, as we could possibly be and um, led by me and... <laughs> And, and, and we pushed it and the region came through with a plan to improve the traffic and it's, it's still a mess like it's pretty gross. Um, sure, but, but, but you were able, you were able to get them to do something sooner than they wanted yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what that this is one of the issues. If there's anything about a, our two tier system. And I know you don't like me using the words upper and lower tier it's first 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 level is the is the cities and the townships okay in the second level because you corrected me on social media once before and i still remember that but uh um you know okay so the first level is municipal the second level is the region and if there's anything that's gonna uh really be a problem is when councillors at the first level try to get something changed that's a second level responsibility and sometimes you just don't feel like you're being listened to uh, or you're getting an answer back is the answer they want to give you without yeah. a real consideration for what's happening at the grassroots ground level. Yeah. I went through that experience on some, uh, trying to get some speed change, trying to get a speed limit change. And you yeah. always get back that old, same old answer. Well, cars are going to travel at the speed that the road was designed for, or some, some cockamamie yeah. thing like that. And I'm and thinking, I think, no, put I it at the it's... speed we want it and we'll enforce the level that we want, but we don't have state. the we don't have the tools to enforce. So like it keeps going in a cycle, right? But I think Florida the mayors <laughs> the mayors must be even in a, a trickier. Like I, as a city councilor, I yeah. was able to be that loud voice because I'm not sitting at that table, and the mayors that are all at that regional council, I think it's a difficult situation for them. So so Karen, we're just going to wrap it up, and we're just going to I'm just going to say this: you went in as a neophyte, yeah, right. And you come out eight years later as a hardened veteran. Yeah. And what would you say about your municipal political experience? What, what would you want people to know about how you felt about your experience? I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was the most challenging part of my life. Um, you know, not just not just for me personally, because I went through a lot of changes. That's my marriage ended during those times, those years. Um, my kids grew up in a in an interesting set of circumstances. Being the child of children of a, of a politician is not easy. No. Um, I had to totally pivot in my career, everything. But I think it taught me everything I need to know about being a leader now. And yeah. um, I'm in the affordable housing sector. I'm the vice president of a national charity. Uh, that we're we're trying to be a big um, a big part of the solution around affordable housing across the country, and I know I could not have ever landed here without that incredible growth experience that I went to through, and it's tough. I've got a lot of scars, literally and emotionally, <laughs> from those years, but and I'll never go back in. I can tell everyone that's listening, I will never go back in, but. <laughs> it, it was the most rewarding experience of my life. Well, let me let me just say this, Karen. I think uh, as a community, 
We're very fortunate that you didn't uh, follow the uh, the Guess Who song I, I was touching on earlier and heading back to Saskatchewan or Saskatoon. So we're, we're lucky to have, that you stayed. And uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to another edition of the Old Grey Mayors podcast. If you have any ideas for stories or people you would like us to interview or reach out to, please feel free to contact us. And thank you again.